Tonight on the Range Minded Podcast, we sit down with Raul Garcia. Raul has spent years honing his craft from his time in law enforcement, contracting, and being a student of the gun himself. Now he spends his time sharing his deep knowledge of gun craft as one of the best instructors in the Northwest. Sit back and enjoy a night with Raul Garcia. All right, guys, welcome to the Range Minded Podcast. Uh, this is Steve in southeastern Idaho, and we got Nick way over on the other side of the state. Over, over in here Boise, in Boise. As, as well as a special guest, somebody that we're excited to have on the show. Who, who we got waiting on the, in the wings out here? Well, I'm Raul Garcia, and I yes, uh, live are. here in, uh, in Idaho. And and uh, if you guys don't know who Raul is, uh, he's uh, he's kind of a stud muffin uh, in, in, in Idaho. <laughs> he's uh, he, he knows a thing or two about firearms and teaching and and uh, enforcing the law. And that's uh, we're excited to have you on, man. We're we're sorry it took so long to get you here, but we are stoked to have you here and finally uh, hear your story and 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 learn some wisdom from the great Garcia. Well, thank you for having me on. I'm uh, pretty excited. This is my first. There's a lot of podcasts and there's a lot to learn, a lot of wisdom out there. So, so I give Raul a lot of credit guys. When he jumped on here, I was like, are you talking on a microphone? First podcast. He rolls First out podcast. with a professional microphone. He probably sounds better than Steve does. Yeah. <laughs> well, so full disclaimer, you probably heard my complaint, my rant from a couple of, I just threw a five minute episode on last week. We had some serious issues with downloading our audio. I got super pissed and and ditched that company uh, and started with a new service, and I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, so I have to record from my phone right now until I figure out the whole system, and then it'll sound better from my real mic again. But yes, Raul's audio sounds so much better because he's way more professional than we are. <laughs> well, I wish speak for yourself. <laughs> But, Speak uh, for yourself. I Danny got Garcia microphones. films. <laughs> yeah. So, Garcia films, and he uh, hooked me up with this uh, sweet mic. Yeah. So, if you guys don't know who Danny Garcia is, that's well. I'll let, you you got to be proud. Tell tell us who Danny is real quick. Well, he's my son, and yeah, I'm pretty proud of him. He's a uh, he's a videographer uh, professionally, and uh, he does a really good job. And he's uh, he's traveling around the country, videoing, making and you know videos for the commercial industry yeah that's awesome so while we're on that subject really quick so guys so danny is on instagram uh danny garcia films is his name on instagram he's actually going to be working on some projects for me at Hoftac. and uh raul's not kidding when he says uh traveling around the world doing commercial shoots like some of his commercial videos are amazing um like shit that you would see on network tv so you should go go check him out and uh, stay tuned because we've got a couple projects that uh, we're about to start with this new holster project that we're launching at Hoftac too. So I'm excited about that. So we will, the first father-son duo that will be on the Range Minded <laughs> podcast will be the Garcias. Heck yeah. <laughs> we're excited. So, so Raul, since, oh, go ahead, Nick. I was, you go ahead. I was going to ask him the same thing. So since, Many of our listeners don't may not know who you are. Some of our Idaho listeners do know who you are. Tell us a bit about who you are. Well, first, are we live? 
Uh, no, we are not live. Okay. Okay, <laughs> good. So you can edit stuff out? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> All right, so uh, real quick, I'll just uh, make it short, but uh, yeah, my name is Raul, and uh, pretty much I was born and raised in, in the great state of Idaho. I grew up just, you know, small town boys, and I was able to grow up in an era where I was able to you know, have a gun at a young age, uh, got to take guns to school and it wasn't a big deal. Uh, <laughs> kids would go hunting on their lunch breaks or we'd go hunting after school. And I just grew up around guns, you know, small town Idaho. And uh, my uh, father was a police reserve. Uh, my mother was a nurse and had really good parents. I uh, have a couple of brothers and they're both really, really close to them. And uh but as a kid, uh, my dad joined the police reserves. And um, funny stories, he actually went down to apply to police reserves. And uh, he was told he they couldn't accept his application because he wasn't a US citizen. And uh, my parents are both from from Mexico. And uh, so my dad, you know, he decided he needed to become a police officer or at least a police reserve at the time. And he was told, hey, you need to become a US citizen. so. What do I have to do? So he found out he had to take some classes, U.S. government, history, those kinds of things. He was going to night school and uh, got a U.S. citizenship and went back. Awesome. And then I had a lot of law enforcement friends. And so as a kid, I really looked up to him. And that kind of started my journey, wanting to go into law enforcement. And as I graduated from high school, went to college for a couple of years and Decided a couple of years was enough for me. I couldn't handle going to college anymore. <laughs> and uh, it just uh, wasn't a good fit for me. But I knew I wanted to go into law enforcement. And thankfully, I worked. I was able to get hired with an agency. And uh, that just kind of started my career. Started in a small town. Actually, I started with the Bannock County Sheriff's Office. And worked there oh, for yeah. just a short period in the jail. And that was back when they had uh, jail cells that just had concrete and bars you know, the old bars, you could just kind of reach through and, and grab somebody. I did that for about six months. And a buddy of mine down in um, the Hayburn area said, hey, why don't you come work for us? We're looking for a, a new officer. Or we really want somebody who can speak Spanish. We've got a lot of Spanish speaking people down here. So I uh, decided I wanted to get to jail. It wasn't for me. I was like, the street cops, what I want to be. So I went down, worked for this small town. It was a, we were a four-man department at the time. Wow. And uh, we were actually pretty busy for being a small-town department because there was usually one or two of us on. It's a town of about 3,000 people, I believe, at the time. And uh, we used to get dispatched through a neighboring county uh, down in Casa County. From there, one day I was on patrol, and I get a call from dispatch. says, hey, come on in, talk to the sheriff. He wants to speak with you. So I go in there, and he asked me to... Uh, come to work for them. He's like, we'll pay a couple extra hundred dollars and you get this nice car. And so I was like, well, a couple extra hundred dollars. And I did that. I think my paychecks at the time were about $500 every two weeks. So I was making a lot That's of a money. That's a huge jump. <laughs> yeah. So it was a good You time. make about as much money as Steve does. About twice as much right now. <laughs> I worked down there and it was time uh, down in the uh, in, you know in the early 90s down in that burley rupert area we were 
pretty dang busy. We had a lot of violent crime going on at the time. Um, but I always say that's where I really got my feet wet and really learned a lot about law enforcement, learned how to deal with people, um, got quite a few chases, things like that, you know, the typical things that happen on yeah. night shift and weekends. And then from so there, what, I, oh, go ahead. I, I'm going to speed you up a little bit because I feel like there's a lot that could go into the story, but what brought you to Boise from there? Well, from there, actually, yeah, I worked down there in Burley, in the burley Haberman area. I worked down there for, I don't know, six, seven years. I got recruited by a buddy of mine that I'm sure you all know, uh, Pete, yep. and who worked for the Department of Energy out of INL. Um, what a lot of people don't realize is a lot of these nuclear facilities have SWAT teams that have to be on duty 24 hours a day. So I got recruited to go out there and compete and uh, got on the I was there for a short, pretty short year and a half, I think, um, before they started doing some layoffs. And I was like, hey, I don't want to stick around to see if I'm going to get laid off. So I started applying, got hired with the Ada County Sheriff's Office up here in Boise and uh, started there in 2000 and just recently retired back in uh, April. And so that's kind of what got me here. And that's that's uh that's where I met you was when you were working for Ada County um, back when I lived out in Cuna. And I think that you were one of my first customers when I started my holster business too. But uh, I remember, and I tell this story quite often when people ask about uh, concealed carry classes. You taught the first concealed carry class, the first of like the hundred that I've taken. And I still remember a lot from that class. So uh, that kind of started uh, my relationship with you. Uh, I'm not sure how Steve met you. He probably uh, got arrested. That's probably how he met you. Though. <laughs> maybe, maybe. That's something we can't talk about right now. It's still, it's still pending. So <laughs> I actually, I actually don't remember how I first met you. It might've been through Pete. I can't remember yeah, it could have been. Uh, yeah, I, I it had to have been. You had to have come over to Idaho Falls when when we were working at the range together, and you must have yeah, come I over for so. something. So one thing I remember about Raul, and he still kind of does it, but I remember back when I was first getting into the firearms uh, industry when I was working for Tactical Solutions, and he was always the guy in the valley that brought the top name instructors to the valley. Yeah, I, I kind of went out of my way to, you know, I've always been the person that was out researching new stuff. You know, I never wanted to stay stagnant in the things that I'd learned. I knew there, there was always better things out there. So I had a few times where I'd reach out to some professional instructors and have them come in and uh, teach me and, and others that wanted to learn. You know, I'd brought in, uh, you know, people like Pete. Pete is a very, very very well-known guy in um, at least the tactical community. He really yeah. knows his stuff. Um, I brought in which he's so people he's like, so unassuming. That's what's funny. Like you just look oh, at he's a dangerous guy. guy. Yeah, he's a dangerous <laughs> man. <laughs> yeah, I, I but I, he he scares me. I would say he's one of my mentors. I really really looked up to that guy, and uh, I was always picking his brain, trying to learn new tactics and everything from shooting to CQB that kind of stuff. Yeah. I brought people in like him. I brought in, um, you know, another gentleman from that from your area as well, Benny Cooley. Benny Cooley's a yeah, good old very Benny. well known yeah. guy. 
good friend of mine as well. And I've had him here uh, several times for our SWAT team and a couple of other teams uh, in the Valley. I brought in Robert Vogel, JJ Ricasa, uh, young mine. He's a very high talented. Actually, actually lives in the area now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, so through your are... experience, through your experience going through law enforcement and doing some, some stuff out here at the INL, um, what are some of the takeaways that, that got you to where you are now? Like, are there any key moments in your life that you're like, man, this, that's what totally made me who I am now? Well, I don't know if it was any one thing, but, you know, looking back from even when I was a kid, um, you know, getting in fights and things like that as a kid, seeing a few things. I saw a few violent things happen as a kid that were, you know, just in my area, in my neighborhood, and always wanted that kind of drew me towards like martial arts. And so I got into martial arts very early, uh, I would say about eight, nine years old. But once I got into martial arts, I just did it very, you know, I was doing it like every day. That's all I thought about was martial arts, how to protect myself, how to protect my family. And I was doing that pretty religiously up until I was about, I'd say about 18, 19 years old. And then um, once I got into law enforcement, I continued doing martial arts, but not quite as much. And then because I was carrying a gun as a police officer, I just felt like learning how to shoot was also a martial art. It was just an extension of that. Yeah. And so it went from carrying a gun on duty to, hey, I need to carry a gun all the time as a concealed carry holder or, you know, off-duty officer. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, because a lot of people don't realize as – as an officer, especially working detention, like when you're working the jail cells, you're, they get to know your face. You got a lot of repeat guys and, and you're a target at that point. Once, you know, if they're out on the streets, they know who you are at that point and it, it gets kind of scary. Yeah. I remember working down the Burley area, especially where it's a smaller town. Um, you know, yeah. People always knew where we lived, you know, you'd be off duty. People would, you know, you'd run into people you'd arrested and so forth. I remember even going to, uh, ha- you know, have lunch with my kids at elementary school. And sometimes some of the kids there would say, hey, you arrested my dad, you arrested my mom, that kind of <laughs> stuff, you know. So even the kids knew who you were. Um, but it became really apparent for me. I remember um, my wife at the time, uh, she was a nurse and she was taking care of some patients and she had some like a family she was taking care of in one of the rooms and they looked at her and said, Hey, we know who you are. We know who you're married to. You're married to that cop and we know where you live. Oh, that's scary. Yeah. You know, it is pretty scary. And so I just always felt, man, I got to be ready to protect my family wherever I'm at. So it became very important for me to carry concealed everywhere I was going, especially when I was with my family. Nuts. But yes, uh, during my career, you know, in law enforcement, a lot of times, um, well, there's just so many facets to law enforcement. I mean, if you want to be, you know, a gang detective, you can do that, which I did for a couple of years. You know, if you want to be a domestic violence detective, you can do that. Narcotics. There's just so many different directions you can go. And for me, I kind of chose to go down the road of uh, working on SWAT and being a firearms instructor. And those were kind of my passions within, within my career. And I just kind of ran with that. And I just 
continually practiced, you know, my own personal skills, brought in other instructors for not only myself, but for my own, for my own guys or my department guys I was working with. And it's just always a continual, like they say, once you're an instructor, you're forever a student. Right. So tell so, us, uh, I know that you, I know that you do, and I might jump ahead of where Steve is, but I, we mentioned in the beginning competitive shooting. And I know that me and you had talked uh, not too long after we met and started kind of working together that uh, you like to shoot three gun USPS, USPSA. Is USPSA. that what it's called? Yep. USPSA. Yeah. yeah. Obviously I'm not versed well in my competition shooting. It's been a while, but um <laughs> What got you into uh, competitive shooting and how do you use competitive shooting in your shooting career? Well, I got into competitive shooting early on, um, just looking for other ways to practice and to get better and, you know, just more ways to be able to pull the trigger on the range. And uh, back in the early 90s, uh, when I worked for Cajun County, I would go to Idaho Falls area, they used to hold a conference called the Mountain States Tactical Officers Association Conference. And that's where I met Benny and Pete. Mm -hmm. And both those guys were really big into competitive shooting at the time. And, you know, they were pretty impressive with their firearms. And they let me know, hey, you know, if you want to get to uh, to that next level, you got to go out and compete. And you got to be able to shoot in front of other people, which is brings on a lot of stress. You know, when people are standing there watching you. And, um, yeah, it was a lot just wanting to be like those guys who are my mentors, you know, and they just really pushed me and saying, Hey, if you want to get that next level of shooting, uh, go compete. And some of the time, and every now and then, you know, you'd hear people go, Hey, shooting competitively, it's bad. It creates bad habits. If you want to shoot tactically, or if you're a tactical shooter, whatever. But, you know, what I find is just shooting, shooting, you know, if you're pulling the trigger to shoot a plate or, a paper target, or if it's a person, you know, you got to have the fundamentals and be able to apply the fundamentals correctly. It doesn't matter what you're shooting at. So, yeah, I, yeah, I, I know. Oh, go ahead, Steve. I was going to say, I noticed when I was shooting a few uh, USPSA matches over here that just my basic gun handling skills increased dramatically. My, my ability to, to put that side on target and, you know, follow through the, the the string of shots. It competitive shooting definitely, definitely improves your skills, and it really drives you to practice more. You know, when you got yeah. your buddies out there, they beat you. You know, from one week to the other, and then you want to go home and practice more so that you can beat them at the next one. So it's just a way to that drives you to practice. You know, yeah, yeah, and I can I can definitely say when I was when I was working at Tactical Solutions and I was traveling around me and Colt and going to those different uh, competitions just for to do demos. When you're around that type of those level of shooters and and seeing that type of shooting, it definitely makes you not only want to level up your shooting game but need to, because yeah. when I got into uh, the firearms industry. When I when I interviewed at Tactical Solutions, and I've said this, when Robert said, "Oh, do you do competitive shooting?" and I said, "What the hell is that? Like, there's <laughs> games for shooting." <laughs> so yeah, yeah it can it, be a it, game. It's a whole new whole new perspective. And I remember I had a conversation with you once about using competition shooting as a way to train for 
your concealed carry and your everyday uh, shooting and using it as a scenario, kind of building a scenario in your mind on the stages. And, and I think there's two mindsets to that because I remember when I would go out and I would shoot, say, Steel Challenge, and I, I kind of went at it with that. Like, I didn't care if I won or if I was the fastest. I just wanted to make sure that I was able to play that scenario out in each stage and some of those yeah. guys will give you will give you shit about it that you know it's it it's it's not what it really is and i'm like well there's two ways to look at it it's either a game or it's a scenario based training if you're just trying to go as fast as possible and and redo if you mess up then that's that's using it like a game which is fine or there's like what raul had talked to me about where it was use it to train your, your skills and your accuracy. Yeah. I, and I think sometimes people mix up the two, you know, there's, there's drills and then there's scenarios. If you want to do scenarios, then that's where we pull out, you know, UTMs or simunition type weapons where you're doing force on force yeah, where man. you're having to, you know, decision-making, are you going to shoot, not shoot? You know, is that guy a good guy or a bad guy? Is it a hostage situation? that kind of thing. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of mix up, mix things up a little bit and they got to understand, Hey, when you're out shooting competitively or when you're running drills, it's just that you're just running drills that they're gun hamming skills, not necessarily scenarios. Right. Oh, look at him. Look at him calling me out on my own show. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there is definitely a difference of, of when the target shoots back or, or when it just stays stationary. Well, so, I don't want to practice when the target shoots back because that means no. I'm going to die. <laughs> well, you know, when it comes to self-defense, you know, I look at I look at competitive shooting or just this shooting. The way I look at things is, you know, the martial arts way of doing things is as a martial artist or a boxer, you know, somebody who's competing against somebody in that fashion, right? As you, when you start learning, you you go slow, you learn your techniques in martial arts, right? Um, then you start shadow boxing. To me, shadow boxing is like dry firing, right? You're just learning the skills, you're learning the technique. And then you go to hitting a punching bag. That's your next level, even with a gun. That's to me, that's when you're at the range, just running drills. And then you have a little, another level above that. That's when you're going to, you know, to USPSA matches where you're running a gun and you're learning a high yeah. level skill with that gun. And then when you start sparring in martial arts, it's the equivalent of UTM and simunitions. That's kind of the way I look at it. Yeah. And it's, it's uh, the competitive world is interesting because you get these, you get these high, high speed dudes. Um, and then you get the, the, the little bit, slower guys that are more concerned about accuracy but what i've i love about the competitive shooting community is i i mean i guess i've met a couple but for the most part they're the most helpful uh kind people that i've ever been around you know you get in some of those matches and you know they're willing to, to give you some ammo to make sure you shoot the next round or they'll let you try their gun or whatever it's it's kind of different than any other sport i guess is the best way to put it because even though you're competing against them and the clock, they're, they're all willing to help you out. Yeah. You know, and that's the other thing I hear out there a lot from people are like, Oh, that's just speed shooting. You know, speed shooting is, is important when somebody's shooting at you. Right. You want to be able to shoot them before they shoot you. Yeah. Um, the way I, 
one of the things I've heard in the past is, you know, if you don't have speed with your accuracy, it doesn't really mean much. Right? Yeah. You got, you got to have both. Sometimes I'll ask a question in classes and say, Hey, what's more important speed or accuracy? And the majority of people always raise their hand. Oh no. Why did it shut him off? You've lost him, dude. Rem make a note at 34 minutes. That yeah, I just you're gonna have my hand. Gosh, dang it. So we text him real quick while I make this note. His, I bet his browser closed. Every stinking time. It's inevitable, dude. Inevitable. <laughs> I'm getting you a Yeti microphone for Christmas. <laughs> I actually have. I'm I'm not talking in my phone. I'm talking in a mic that I have for my phone. It oh, is it, is it the like one that... Poop. I don't know. It sounds better right now than it did. Really? Yeah, Maybe but whenever you, you were when you were drinking water, closer? yeah, I think you needed to be closer. But when you were drinking water, dude, all I could hear was you gulping. <laughs> well, that's weird. And I could hear you open your water bottle. I don't have a water bottle. I do have my Bundaberg ginger beer. Oh, it sounded like a, it sounded like a lid unscrewing. Uh oh, that's weird. Hopefully, he can come back on. Wonder if I need to resend that link. Let's try it. I wonder how far he got. So try wanna... that pink. Did you read your text? No. Try that pink again. <laughs> it's because there's cracks in my screen. Oh. Uh, so I want to ask him about uh, being on the sheriff's department as the val as Ada County grew and. Uh, just to talk what a little did, bit about that. The dynamic then, of what it was like from when he started to when he left. Yeah, that so that, and then also, so he's, now that he's retired, he's going full-time into training, and he's trying to put to, put together a range event. All right. There we go. So, so I want to ask, have you ask him about that, too. Okay. Right. Okay, so I'm going to clap, clap my hands again. All right, I and can after, hear you now. Okay. Uh, let's see, what did we talk about? We were talking about... Speed shooting. Yeah, speed Accuracy shooting. So, speed. Yeah, yeah, I was a lot of times I'll ask my students, hey, you know, what's more important, speed or accuracy? And I say that to kind of trick them a little bit. But, you know, one of the things I've always heard is, hey, if you have accuracy without speed, it does you no good, right? You got to have both. They're both, they're both important. So when we talk about speed shooting, we're not talking about missing. But for whatever reason, when we talk about speed shooting, everybody thinks that you're just talking about, you know, spray and pray and, you know, mag, mag dump. Yeah. So, but you got to have speed if in self-defense and competition, right? It's whoever gets their hits first. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, I mean, I mean you don't want to have a bunch of misses, right? If you're playing yeah. the game, you, you can't miss fast enough. Right. That's right. You know, and that all comes with, uh, you know, with mindset, you know, why are you, why are you shooting? Are you shooting? Cause it's a, just a game for you. There's guys who shoot 
you know, thousands and thousands of rounds, and they shoot these matches every weekend. But, you know, when they shoot and when they're out and about, their guns are put away and they don't carry concealed because it's just a game for them. Then you got yeah. the tactical guys who they're out there because they want to improve their skills for, you know, a possible armed confrontation if they ever have to use it to protect themselves or their family. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's hard to get in that mindset as a small town Idaho guy, you know, I'm sure just like you guys know, you know, you grow up shooting is just recreation for a lot of people out here. And so sometimes you grow up just out plinking cans or whatever with your kids. And then you get out to where you're shooting, I don't know, with your concealed carry gun or, as a law enforcement officer, hey, you got to go to the range. And it's just kind of a, a game for you because that's how you're growing up. But yeah. One day, I, one of the things I didn't mention was I did some private contract work over in uh, Pakistan. I was working for a program called the Anti-Terrorism Assistance Program. But on the weekends, I'd grab a case of ammo and I'd go to the range. And one day I was loading a case of ammo into the side-by-side to drive across the street. And I had this little Pakistani guy come up to me and goes, Instructor Garcia, Goes, are you practicing fighting? And I kind of look at him with a confused look and I'm like, excuse me? He's like, <laughs> are you going to practice fighting? And then it dawned on me exactly what he was saying. I'm like, oh, yes, yes, yes. That's what I'm doing. You know, and I kind of drove away from there going, man, I just learned a valuable lesson, right? These guys, every time they go to the range, they're, cons- they're considering it practicing fighting. So whether we're practicing fighting on the wrestling mats, whether you're you know, in the, in a cage fighting, you're stick fighting, knife fighting, or you're at the range shooting, it's practicing fighting. And yeah. so if you're a tactician, you got to make sure you're always in that mindset of, Hey, that's what I'm doing. This is a serious thing here. You know, and I think you hit on something that's really important. So I I've officiated over a lot of range sessions. I've, you know, been range safety officer for quite a while and, in a bunch of different ranges. Anyways, I see probably the majority of people that come to the range are just there just to, to shoot recreationally, right? They're not really using that range visit to its full opportunity or full potential. And every once in a while, you'll get, you'll get the cool guys that, that really understand the purpose. Like they go to the range for a specific purpose, whether it's to, to get the gun out of the holster or they're working on acquiring that front sight or, or uh, you know, flash sight picture, whatever it is they're they're there for a reason and i think a, a lot of range visitors do a huge disservice to themselves when they go because they're just going to waste ammo and in today's economy you can't really afford to just waste ammo anymore yeah it's kind of hard to get better if you don't have a goal and know what you're going to work on when you yeah. get there yeah but at and, the same time may- right it's also got to be fun for a lot of oh, people. Yeah, absolutely. There's a time to be serious, but there's also a time, hey, let's just go out there and have some fun. Yeah, and I, I do enjoy going through a few hundred rounds. It is it is quite fun, but it's very painful right now. <laughs> <laughs> very painful. I'm glad I stocked up on a bunch of 22 ammo <laughs> before all yeah, this well, craziness. Well, Steve, if I'm going to get a shameless plug while we're on here. If you uh, are worried about just blowing through ammo you need to come over to meridian and you need to check out the new oh, yeah. simulated range that just is opening on monday so sim oh, shop meridian. Open monday yeah the 13th is opening day gosh awesome. i'm gonna have there. to get over and meet him 
Yeah, Jeremy's a good guy. He's a customer of mine uh, since he moved here, and uh, I'm excited. I went over there and looked at the facility a couple weeks ago, and they just got the uh, simulator up and going. It's a 120-inch curved screen uh, with, I think, damn near every every simulation that LaserShot makes. So, hmm, what are you doing on Saturday? Cost effective. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think that uh, I don't remember what the pricing is, but I know that I, he, he talked to me about the instructor pricing and it was like $65 for an hour session uh, to rent the whole thing, to rent the whole thing uh, and do training in there. But there's, there's memberships. There's, I think, four different membership levels that come with uh, a certain amount of uh, sessions. And then you can just uh, go in and uh, I think you can pay per simulation or pay per hour. Uh, I think it's on their website, simshopmeridian.com. I haven't really looked at it, uh, but uh, we're going to have Shame. holsters in there. I know we're going to have holsters in there and we're going to go in and uh, do a lot of video of us in there shooting because it's one mile from my shop. And I, and I know where I'm going to be visiting here very soon. Yeah, absolutely. So we'll get Jeremy on the show, but, uh, yeah, for, so if you're as concerned as Steve was about shooting <laughs> live ammunition, there's definitely some alternatives popping up around uh, Idaho for that. Nice. Yeah, simulator's a good way to do that. When I was uh, in law enforcement, we had a a simulator called Fats Machine. And uh, it would give you all these scenarios, you know, these videos of either domestic dispute could be a traffic stop whatever suspicious person and it'd give you a gun you'd have to react to it and if it presented itself you would you know if a threat presented itself you'd end up shooting back and the gun would recoil and it would send out a little laser that would you could play back later so you could see where your hits and where your your shots were Mm -hmm. but pretty realistic i'd like to have one of those in my house (laughs) yeah i actually i actually they're getting cheaper I got quoted on the uh, sim, the laser shot uh, sim range, and I think it was like you could get into it for under ten thousand for the for the personal short throw uh, range. I really wanted one in my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> I just need to figure out where to put it at. I have plenty of room. I have no furniture. I'm I'm a bachelor, so I'll get rid of the TV and put up a shooting simulator. There you go. Uh, but so I wanted to ask you, Raul, uh, you were on the Ada County uh, Sheriff's Department for a really long time. And I know that uh, we've had quite a bit of growth uh, in the Valley. And so I'm just curious. So, well, it, I don't if you had more that you wanted to go on about your, your time in Pakistan, we can finish that too. But I'm, I'm interested afterwards. Uh, what, how, how was going from when you started at Ada County to when you just recently retired as far as the community and what it's like to be in law enforcement here? Well, luckily we live in a community that's pretty pro law enforcement, even up till the day I retired, you know, I would have probably two to three days a week, have people wanting to buy you lunch or dinner and uh, get people rolling down their windows at red lights saying, Hey, thanks for being a police officer people shaking your hand and uh, it's pretty good support, I think overall in the community. Yeah. 
And, um, you know, the biggest change I've seen throughout my career is obviously the growth, um, but not just the growth of the agents or the, uh, the valley, you know, the cities and the county, but our own agency and the, the sheriff's office itself and police agencies in the valley have grown immensely. I think total employees, you know, from the sheriff on down to the newest secretary, when I started with the sheriff's office back in 2000, I believe we had around 225, 250 employees. And I believe now it's about 850. Wow. So the, the growth is just, it's just crazy. It just keeps growing more and more and always having to add new positions and because there's always, always different needs for the community. So every year, you know, the sheriff's office has to look at the needs of the community and they add positions that we didn't have in the past. Was there, was there ever a time when you were on the, uh, working for the department that you thought about running for sheriff? <laughs> you know, I've had a few people ask me about that. It's usually people <laughs> in the gun community that, that think they're pretty funny. Um, <laughs> I know several years ago uh, when one of the sheriffs was up for re-election. I, I was told after, like the day after the election, I was told by about a dozen people that apparently I was a write-in and I didn't know it. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that have been exciting? <laughs> so now that you're retired, do you think that uh, running to be the sheriff is in, in the future maybe for you? No, I'm not smart enough to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I know lots of sheriffs now, but I think you, I think you're smart enough. I think that we all should run for some sort of elected office. So Steve is, <laughs> oh, Steve is trying again. to run for elected office. Just just putting that out there. I know I talked about it before, but my microphone, <laughs> he, he accidentally deleted all my audio. So you guys didn't yeah, get to yeah, hear it was, me. It was me for sure. But uh, Yeah, so I got approached by an elected official telling me that I needed to replace the representative on this side of the state. And I seriously thought about it, but I just, I don't know if I got time to do it right now. Yeah. I was asked before this last election to uh, run for city council by several people. Um, Cause certain people were concerned about the city council yeah. woman who uh, a lot of people in the conservative community didn't agree with. And people felt that I would be a good person to run against her. You but live in the, Boise now, right? Yes, I do. Well, so you still have to worry about the mayor and and all those right now too. That would have been that would have been pretty rough, I bet. Yeah, the uh, person that well they they created these districts, where uh, now that you vote for the peop a person in your district, a city council person, if they want to, or if a person wants to run for city council, you have to live in the district, in that specific in a certain district. district, yeah, in a specific district, and then those people in that specific district vote for you and you only. And the person that they wanted me to run against uh, is not in the district that I live in. So I'm like, wouldn't work out. Yeah. It didn't work out. And I uh, thought it was better off not to run at all. Yeah. It, it would be, it would be pretty tough. Uh, I, you know, my dad and my father-in-law both have, have been in elected positions and, Man, there's a lot of a lot of crap that that they deal with inside yeah. and outside of their positions. My dad back in I don't know, I can't remember seventies, eighties, my dad actually ran for city council. But didn't get it, so kinda runs yeah. in the family a little bit, I guess. 
you can never keep everybody happy. That's the problem. And I'd probably tell people to shut up too often too. So I'd, <laughs> I'd always, I'd always be in the hot seat. Yeah, I usually, I'm usually pretty nice most time, but I'm sure I'd uh, make a few people mad. <laughs> and it's usually the wrong people. Yeah, that that's always the way it is. So, so we we went through kind of your your past, and and where you, how you got here now. So, what are you doing now to keep yourself busy? Well, I say I retired back in April, and uh, the whole time I've been well, I wouldn't say the whole time, but for about the last I don't know ten or twelve years, I've kind of had a side gig where I teach concealed weapons classes. Mm-hmm. I teach um, basically anything or anyone that wants to uh, learn how to use a handgun rifle rifle i'll teach as long as they're not prohibited from having a firearm right and i've been doing that off and on for the last 15 years and now i just do it um i have a website you know idaho 1032 Uh, i don't uh, post a lot of things on there but you can go there and you can see descriptions of my classes and things like that Nice. Most of my classes are usually by word of mouth. I, I typically, I would say weekly, I get one or two calls a week where somebody calls and says, hey, I got six to 10 people and we want to learn, you know, we want to take an enhanced concealed carry class or we want an advanced pistol or rifle class. And then we just kind of look at the calendar, set it up and and meet at the range. So, But I'm trying to be more organized for the next year. I actually have someone who's going to help me get a calendar set up so people can just go to my website click on a button and register. So hopefully that works out. Awesome. So, so you where, where are you? Hang, oh. hang on. So you mentioned okay. uh, anybody that's not prohibited from owning a firearm. Do you get many people oh. who are prohibited yeah. from having guns that want to train with you? No. Well, I think there's certain people out there that don't realize that they're prohibited. And <laughs> usually the biggest, you know, cause people, most people go, okay, I know if I have a felony, I'm not allowed to be in possession of a firearm. But people forget that or don't know that if you're convicted of a misdemeanor domestic violence crime, that that also prohibits you from carrying a firearm. And so sometimes we have to have that discussion. It hasn't happened very often. It's just actually just like one time. And so that's all it takes to have to set a standard. Yeah. Well, and, and if you've ever wondered if you're prohibited or not, you just look up the form 4473 from the ATF and it'll tell you. Yeah, there's a, a criteria of questions that it asks you and and if you answer yes to most of those questions uh then you're probably prohibited yeah so in the enhanced concealed carry class so what i like to do for the enhanced concealed carry class is i'll bring up on a powerpoint presentation i'll bring up basically the application that you for the state of idaho's enhanced concealed carry mm-hmm. and ask you those questions and we go down go down that word for word and I explain every question to the whole class. That way there's no surprises when we get out to the range. <laughs> do you, do you, has there ever been a time when the, that one face of some student just kind of changes a little bit? <laughs> yeah, I, I can really, has anyone as soon as had I talk about domestic out? violence, <laughs> I, I look at everybody in the eye and kind of look at their body language <laughs> and you see people kind of squirming back and forth, you know, <laughs> Because and that a lot of that's because I go into also just explaining to people what battery and what assault is, and people don't realize that they're two different things, and that they can yeah. both get you into trouble. So, 
Yeah. Well, that's that's good because you know I, maybe most instructors are doing their due diligence, but I think that kind of gets skated through sometimes in some of those classes. They're the instructors are just worried about getting their students into the range and, and done and over with. So it's yeah, you know, it's I pretty try important. to give these guys as much information as I can. I try not to be one of those instructors who just you know reads a PowerPoint and and moves on. I try to give some good explanation, make sure you know make sure anybody has questions that I can explain things and you know, yeah. rather take the time and the class go a little bit longer than it needs to be just to make sure everybody has the right information, you know, and then that yeah. goes into when you get out to the range, I don't like to just bark out range commands, you know, say shoot one, shoot two, whatever, you know, up and without giving actually individual instruction, I try to diagnose people, watch each individual. I try to give everybody a little bit of a, individual attention to make sure they're understanding fundamentals rather than just stand in the back and yell commands. That must be tough with like 35 people on the range. It is. It is. That's why if I have more than 10 people, I bring out another instructor. Good to know. My class is typically wise. My classes are typically six to 10 people. Nice. So, so you are able to obviously get around and do some individual instruction, even if it's just, uh, advanced concealed carry class. Yeah, during the enhanced concealed carry class. And that's what people don't realize. You know, sometimes people will call me and say, hey, well, should I take a basic class first? The enhanced concealed carry class is basic 101 pistol shooting. Um, and the only reason I think in a lot of times people get mixed up because when they hear the word enhanced, they think that means an advanced level class. And basically how that come about was years ago, we used to have what they called the basic concealed carry, you know, certification. And at that time, there was no, really no direction from the state as to what was to be taught. And in order to have, you know, in order for other states to be able to accept or prevent when you're traveling to their states, um, a lot of the states started to say, hey, you guys don't require shooting. And... So in order for them to be able to accept our permits, the state of Idaho changed and said, okay, we're going to start making people go out and shoot 98 rounds. The class has to be eight hours now. (laughs) And they kind of had a little list of things that had to be covered. And so they call it the enhanced permit because it's not the basic anymore. The basic, I knew, I knew of instructors or I knew students who said their instructors met them at coffee shops and talked to them for like 20 minutes and explained to them. You know, just said, hey, this is what use of force is. And then just signed off their certificates and away they went. So there was oh really gosh. no guidance from the state as to what was to be taught. So once they created some guidance, they titled that the enhanced permit. Well, and you also didn't need, you didn't even need that if you had a hunter safety uh, card back then. That's correct. Yeah. If you were years old and you said, hey, I took hunter's ed when I was 12, they'd still give you a permit. Yeah, because that's how I got my first concealed weapons permit was with my hunter safety card. Yep. Yeah. And then so I the took your class after. Yeah, and so in the enhanced concealed carry class, I consider it just basic 101 because we go over just basic overall safety, you know, some of the laws, use of force, and we get in just the basic fundamentals of shooting. And we just start out, we start out dry firing. We start out, hey, this is how you hold the gun. This is how you see the sights. This is how you pull the trigger. And we just do, you know, 
after we do some dry firing, we get into shooting groups and then speed things up a little bit by the second half of the day. Nice. Nice. So where, where are you primarily teaching right now? You know, I teach, uh, I'd say the majority of my classes out at the Double Tap Range, which is out east of Boise. Um, I have access to some other ranges around the valley too, but primarily I teach out at Double Tap Range just because it's the easiest to reserve a, a bay out there. Yeah, and I haven't actually been there yet. I, I, I've, you know, I'm acquainted with the owners and, and they're super awesome, but I haven't had a chance to get out there and, and uh, actually poke some holes out and targets out there yet. We should yeah, probably get we should people. probably get them on the show. I do need to get them on the show. She would remember who I am. I I taught them their uh, range safety officer class before they opened. So, oh, awesome! They're, yeah, they're good they're people. Cool. You ought to have them on. We so, should have them on here. Yeah. While well, we're, while we, I'm we, on here. Well, when you <laughs> come we, back for your second episode, we'll have you on here. What All we right. need to do is just go on site and have them there and do like a like a range day is what we need to be doing well speaking of range day i think raul's got that covered well Ooh, i'm trying you got, you got an event coming up i'm 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 in the infancy stages of having an event out there calling uh what i call it 1032 range day where we're basically going to have it an industry day and invite the public basically i'm trying to get um anybody and anybody who has a business in the gun industry to come out and set up out there while we invite the public come out and see what they have to offer while I give a few seminars throughout the day. Well, we'll be the official podcast. Oh, that would be great. <laughs> It'd be great. So it's when, just hard. It's hard to get people to commit to anything right now, but it is I'm just kind of going I, around getting a yes or no. So yeah, am I interested? No. And then uh, once I get X number of, people just to you know say yeah i'd be interested then i'll create some type some type of a um, way for people to pay for the event and we'll see how many people are really interested yeah that'd um, be awesome I, I know that we talked when you came by the shop that day so uh, if you've talked to more people we should get together and kind of put together a, a game plan and maybe something that we can get some early commitments from people because mm -hmm. i already told you that i'm I'm guaranteed 100% in, uh, not only with Hoftac, but I'll make sure that Steve shows up for the show. And Absolutely. We'll, uh, we'll do some, some interviews with people out there and do a, a live broadcast. But uh, I definitely uh, am interested in, in helping get that thing going. So if anyone listening uh, wants more information about it, uh, definitely reach out to Raul or, or me once he gets me the information that we need and we'll make yeah, sure that, you that happens. Do you have a roundabout day or month that you're thinking? Yeah, in May. In May? Uh, it would be the Saturday before. I think it's May 7th, I believe. It would be the Saturday before Mother's Day. I think Mother's, Mother's Day is awesome. on the Sunday and then Saturday, so the day before, so whatever that day is. But I talked to Mark out there, the owner of Double Tap, and he's on board with it, and we kind of uh, reserved a couple of bays out there for us. and So nice. we just need to get people to commit now. Well, there we go. I'm, I might know a couple of people on this side of the state that'd be, be interested in that too, maybe. And, and I'm sure you, we, we probably know the same people, but you, you know, way more people than I do. I should qualify that in the very beginning, but 
Oh, I don't know about that, but you know, things really changed around here with the growth. I was telling Nick, yeah. I was like, man, there's a, you know, I used to think I knew everybody in the gun industry in the Valley here, but over the last couple of years with, you know, thousands of people moving here, there's yeah, a lot of small crazy. shops that are opening up all over the place of people that I haven't met. Yeah. There's also some big, there's some, some bigger names that people recognize that are moving to the Valley as well. I don't know if I uh, was telling you about that role, but I know a couple of, I don't know that I want to call them out on the show, but like there's some, <laughs> some large like Glock clone style pistol company that has yeah, leased, it's... leased property in Nampa. Oh, well, we'll yes. have to talk about that then. Yeah. Yes. So, and, and, and I need to just, talk to them. Yeah. There's lots of, lots of people moving to the Valley. Um, I think it's, I think it's that rush away from, the the west coast states is the is yeah. the thing and and the and the gun industry in those states has always been hard to do but i think now it's become just unbearable well and idaho is such a gun-friendly state i wish more uh firearms industry related businesses would come into the state and there must be something special about texas because that's they they seem to want to go to texas well i hope they i hope the masses of people keep going there and not here yeah well, we got a lot uh, of good people moving here but we still you know there's still things we got to deal with with traffic and that kind of stuff uh, the well traffic the, is getting out of control and we're getting the we're getting the overflow on this side of the state if you try to drive through idaho falls at five o'clock um, and i know some people ask that's not rush hour but it's ridiculous for people that grew up on this side of the state. Ridiculous. Yeah, Steve almost missed the show a couple weeks ago because he was stuck in traffic. <laughs> yeah, usually it takes me like 20 minutes to get home from Idaho Falls. It was an hour. Yeah, so you know, dumb. it's all relative. So I, I've heard people say the same thing. Oh, this is nothing compared to where I came from. But on the other hand, I've also had some people say, man, I thought it was bad where I came from. And I tried to drive down Eagle Road today. It was oh, bad. Yeah. Eagle and Meridian both. It's stupid. Stupid. Yeah, it's, traffic is, is just getting terrible. It is oh, terrible. Well. It'll be good for writing tickets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he doesn't do that anymore. I didn't do much it's, of that anyway. I got I, the traffic guys. I remember I was talking to Danny about something when he was in the shop, and I said something about uh, you writing a ticket, and he said, I think my dad only wrote, like, five tickets his whole career <laughs> <laughs> well there's a few more than that well you know early on you, you you do a lot of writing tickets but second half of my career i i definitely would say i didn't write as many <laughs> well it sounds like sounds like you earned your stripes though to to get where you were so well I actually retired with no stripes <laughs> well it was just a figure of speech <laughs> i take I it know. I take it stripes are not good in law enforcement. No, it's good. It just means you got promoted and you make more money, man. Oh. <laughs> nah. Well, well where, where can where can people find you? Well, online I have a, you know, I have a website idaho1032.com. I'm also on Instagram, Raul Garcia 1032. And uh, that's where I post a lot of my stuff is on Instagram. So before before we jump off here, we're we're approaching the hour mark, and I'm I have to ask because 
people are going to wonder because all of your names have 1032. So for those who don't know. He's running 10 codes, man. Yeah. For those that don't know 10 codes, what is 1032? 1032 is old 10, 10 code, police code that we used to use. Uh, means man with a gun. So if you type <laughs> in police codes 1032, it'll say man with a gun. That seems fitting. Yeah. So they used to use it like, for instance, they would say, hey, you need to respond to a park. You know, there's a male subject, 1032. So that's basically how that was nice. used. So I thought it would be a cute way of uh, having a name for my business. No, very I like cool. it. <laughs> that's very cool. I do, so, I do oh, have one ahead. more. I have one more question for you before we, we let you go. Is there is there like one piece of advice you could give brand new shooters that uh that would help them improve or, or start their journey through their firearms uh their their two-way travels well i say if you if you're a new shooter and you want to expedite your learning get into that next level i would say take a class from a good instructor right i don't i'm not saying you have to come to my classes but find find an instructor in your area somebody who you know Maybe you can vet by just going around asking other people who in the valley who the good instructors are, because that's going to really save you from creating bad habits and it's going to expedite your learning. And then uh, on nice. top of that, dry fire a lot. Dry fire is really gonna is going to be where you're going to improve your gun handling skills more so than live fire shooting. Nice. Well, now nice. that we've vetted you on the show <laughs> we're gonna have to have you come back and be and we'll get more specific on uh probably firearms training because i i know that you're one of the instructors in the valley that a lot of these guys kind of uh look to and i know that they talk about you because they ask me about you and, and mention you in a lot of conversations that i have in the shop so i would love to have you come back on uh and just just do a little bit of a, a dive on uh, firearms instruction and, and what what is important to you in that. We kind of touched on it, but we got a little bit of backstory and, and things like that. So let's have you back on and just kind of talk about 1032 training and, and what you have coming up. We talked about the range event, but what your classes look like and uh, what people can expect when they train with you. Yeah, that'd be great. Awesome, man. Well, we really appreciate you taking your evening and, and spending it with us, man. We we love to hear your beautiful voice, and, and I can't wait to get over there on that range day. All right, man. Let's do it. Awesome. Sweet. Well, all right, guys. I'm going to jump off here, and uh, hopefully Steve won't lose my audio this time. It won't happen this time, I think. <laughs> all right. Well, <laughs> thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks. All right, guys. Be safe. All right. Bye.